say September 28th. I was at a, a craps table once and I made a big bet. And my buddy said to me, man, that takes steel balls. And I, I, it's funny. The, the box person said that's very attractive in a man. And my point is this, Dan, we've put some ballsy calls out there over the last couple of oh, years. And geez. I am, everything seems oh, to be coming to fruition. Guy Adami here, Dan, Nathan there. In just a few minutes, Tom Sosnoff, a founder of and CEO of Tasty Trade. He'll join us, Carter Worth of Worth Charting. You know now that Wednesdays are Sundays at Carvel, as they say. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet Dan, financial data and engineering powered by tomorrow. Not engineering, analytics. SoFi, get your money right all in one app. Tasty Trade, empowering the individual investor through content, technology, and know-how. And Dan, we're powered by life. We're powered by open exchange. We're also powered by the fact that once again, the New York Yankees are the American League East champions. Back to you. How about that? Listen, you've been saying it all year long, guy. You don't really start taking tabs or taking stock of the Yankee season until September. Here we are at the end of September. You have your championship. It has not been an easy ride, but we'll save that for another program. All right, let's do it, man. You and your steel balls. I'm glad that you're happy with that. I am happy. I am. I'm happy. Let's talk a little bit about, I mean, the news today, I, I think is pretty interesting. So this BOE, the, the Bank of England, this sort of intervention, we're seeing lots of central banks intervene. We're doing something, though, you know, I guess our central bank has been doing the opposite of the intervention they've been doing, you know, for 20 years or so. The irony here, though, guy, is that, you know, usually it's the Fed that's leading the charge here, and we're starting to see some cross-currents. You've been using this term, and, and I think it's become pretty common. I mean, the idea that, like, certain of these mechanics, uh, you know, are, are starting to break here a little bit, right? And so talk to me a little bit about what you thought the BOE and what the knock-on effects here are because we do have our rates coming in we do have the u.s dollar coming in and we do have stocks kind of screaming right now but one and a half percent on the s p doesn't feel like i don't know it doesn't feel that impactful yeah I, listen so there's lots to unravel here and you know 12 years or 13 years of free money it creates a lot of opaqueness i mean there's yeah. no price discovery by definition there can't be when money's sloshing around and the road to price discovery it becomes pretty painful so you're seeing it now and all these all these moves, all these gyrations in currencies, bonds, to a certain extent, commodities are pretty much predicated on exactly that. So Bank of England, I mean, they're intervening. They're basically intervening on themselves, which is I find fascinating. Earlier today on Twitter, I said the Bank of England is effectively trading against and with themselves. It's just poetic in a certain way. And we've been saying for a while if you listen to market call, if you listen on the tape, we say, think about how dire the situation specifically in England must be. If knowing the inflation they have and knowing the slowdown they have, they still need to feel that inflation is the thing they need to fight. And obviously they were trying to do that until you saw what happened today when things were unraveling right before their very eyes. Talk about pension funds imploding, all those different things. And they basically had to do not a pivot, but a complete about face. So I find it to be interesting. What does it mean here for the Federal Reserve? I don't think they're going to take their cues from that necessarily. I don't think we're in the same situation. I don't think it's as dire here as it is there. But I think it's a window. It's sort of a lens into what potentially could happen. And the rally today, to a certain extent, is predicated on exactly that. 
Well, let's talk about this rally here. Again, like I said, 1.5% the S&P 500 that's down close to 15% in a month and a half at a really key technical level, the June lows, the match low here. We had a brief break of that. I mean, when you pull up this one-year chart of the S&P 500 guy and you take a look at this thing, you know, it's going to take a little bit more than what we're doing right now. Last night on Fast Money, you said, listen, I could see us rallying 5% in a straight line. And I could also see that, but I kind of added on, I could also see us breaking hard mm-hmm. 5%. I mean, we're just at a really key level. It does feel like a sort of binary outcome at these levels here. And, you know, i got to talk about this one because we've been talking about the concentration of Apple, 7.5% at its highs recently, the S&P 500, 14% of the NASDAQ 100 at its lows this morning was down four and a quarter percent. There was a headline out, not confirmed, that you know some of the plans that they had to ramp iPhone 14 Pro production, they're kind of backing off of. And you know immediately the knock-on effect was, look at some of these foundry stocks, look at Taiwan Semi and Global Foundries and Micron and some of the component supply. I mean, so you're seeing like the kind of smartphone supply chain act week. I would have thought that would have been enough. And this morning when we had the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield above 4% and the U.S. dollar index making a new 20-year highs, guys, that had the ingredients for, I think, a really sharp decline. So what are we seeing here? Is it just that yields and the dollar have come in? This is the lead. This is the most important story. The reason why we're talking about other stuff is obviously central banks of front and center, top of mind. But what we've been trying to say for so many months now is, listen, central banks are interesting and everything, you know, they sort of control the narrative to a point, but below the surface, things are happening to companies. There's demand destruction, there's margin contraction. And we said, it's just a matter of time before one of these companies comes out and warns. I mean, now I'm using warns in quotes, but on demand and effectively, To a certain extent, that's exactly what we're hearing from Apple. So, but for the Bank of England, this would be the lead story on CNBC. And this is what they'd be talking about, correctly so. Because as we've said, as Carter will say, the generals are the last to fall. So listen, the fact that Apple's down, whatever it's down, if the Bank of England did not come in and you didn't have that news, Apple would probably be down somewhere between 6 and 7% today. Rightly so, by the way, Dan. Yeah. And, you know, every time you say but for, I always like I want to ask you a question. I'm just going to do it right now. What's a but for? Yeah, I like that. It's like, what was that stupid show that I never watched with? You know, it's funny. They made these. Oh, cars- Seinfeld. That's oh. what you were going to say. You know, a but is for sitting. That's what a but for is. OK. Oh. All right. So let's move on here a little okay. bit, because that Apple, again, I do think it's fascinating to see how this stock closes without any confirmation mm-hmm. of whether they are pulling back production. But the important point is that there's massive reverberations that can happen in the supply chain. And when you think about semis, which were huge outperformers relative to the NASDAQ for much of last year, they've been relative underperformers this year and almost anticipating this sort of slowdown. All right. You know, our friends over at CNBC guy, they're having something that they call Delivering Mm. Alpha. It is an all day conference. Um, A bunch of our friends who are hosts, they're kind of interviewing a bunch of like market luminaries here's one stanley Druckenmiller. you know the guy i know um, stan he's, yeah he's i mean genius investor he's calling for a hard landing and i think you've kind of been on the record saying the likelihood 
of the Fed and everybody else, all these other central banks, to be able to orchestrate a soft landing anytime soon is probably not particularly great. So you want to hear Stan when he's talking like this. But you also have to remember that when we are pressed down 15% in the stock market and you have these guys coming out, they don't speak every day like we do. You know what I mean? Sometimes the timing of the sentiment of those statements versus where the market is, they're not always aligned. Is that fair to say here? And 100% I'm just curious accurate. Your but with, yeah. You're spot on with that. But to, I'm not suggesting you're not being fair, but to be fair to Stan, I mean, he, he comes out and he's been saying, I mean, if you look, go back 12 to 14 months ago, he was talking about the US dollar not being a reserve currency in eight to 10 years from now. I think he was probably being generous in that assertion. He's been concerned about some of the same things we've been concerned about as well. So a 400, 500 point move into Dow is not going to change his view. I'm not suggesting you think it will change his view. It is all about timing. So obviously, if this had taken place, this conference, let's say, you know, a month or so ago, he would have seemed prescient and he will wind up being prescient. And listen, the, the somehow thought that central banks now collectively around the world can orchestrate a landing period is just complete fallacy. And I think that's what he's alluding to. Yeah. And so just to put a bow on this before we get to Tom here, I mean, you and I, as far as just the kind of the stock market, I mean, to me, you know, again, I think we go lower. I think you and I can do the math. We've been talking about the mm-hmm. math. Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley, a strategist that we have um, a lot of respect for. He just lowered his 2023 S&P earnings estimates to be down year over year from 2022. He also lowered 2022. But if you take his 212 bucks and you put what might be a trough multiple in the S&P 500 at 14, on the forward basis, you get below 3,200. You've been saying that we're going to get back towards those pre-pandemic highs at 3,430. I agree with that. There is an air pocket down below that. And that's how you kind of get, you need these estimates to kind of line up with what, you know, I mean, they're just not in tune with what's going on, I think, as far as S&P earnings are concerned. Is that fair to say? And I think that this is where over the next few weeks, we get Q3 earnings and Q4 guidance. This is where it's going to become very apparent. Think off who's next, one of their great songs, getting in tune to the straight and narrow. And I think it's just a matter of time before these people do. Mike Wilson, by the way, has been in tune for quite some time. And again, you did the math, Dan, and you're spot on. I think the math that you suggested comes out to 3180 or thereabouts in the S&P. And I don't want to I just want to be very clear. I'm not bullish. This is all tactical stuff. What we talked about last night is tactical in terms of the market potentially rallying. And that happened, obviously, if you go back on June 16th. We talked about the same type of move. The context, though, the entire package of this thing is the market continues to head lower. And we're in an environment now where some of these rallies, again, bear market rallies are the most violent. With that said, Dan, without further ado, which is a French word that I can't spell, I'd like to bring in the great Tom Sosnoff of Tasty Trade, CEO and founder. And you know what? Just a stunningly handsome man. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing awfully good. That was a beautiful introduction. Thank you. I do my best. So, you know, Tom, obviously everything we talked about is front and center, and I'm looking at you to play central banker and stuff. But when you see environments that we find ourselves in, and listen, you're a master at certain things and the moves we've seen, forget about commodities for a second, but the currency moves we've seen are unprecedented. The bond moves we've seen are unprecedented. You and I and Dan talked about at some point bond volatility was going to make away its an equity volatility. Now with the VIX that approached, I think, 34 yesterday, my sense is you have the lobster bib out and you're looking for tremendous opportunities to probably sell vol and get involved in names. Am I somewhat correct here? Yeah, you're you're pretty much spot on. You're not going to elaborate on that? <laughs> oh, no, no I, I did. I thought it was kind of like a, I wasn't sure the depth of that question. I mean, 
first of all, you got to realize that, that I'm always short vol. So mm-hmm. it's just a question of what magnitude. And when the VIX gets up in the 30 range, you know, my positions tend to get a little bit bigger than I'd like to on the short vol side. But with respect to bonds, you know, we're short vol and bonds, but we're also leaning. I've been leaning long bonds since about 128. They got down less. Actually, this morning when I woke up, they traded just under 124. Yeah. So, you know, now this rally, obviously back to 127 today has been really, I mean, let's just put it this way. You know, it was, it was a little bit of a gift from the gods. It was getting ugly, but, and I don't like being long bonds, but I just felt they were ridiculously oversold. Same thing with the currencies this morning. You know, the euro was down, the yen was down, the British pound was down. I mean, basically across the board, everything was down and now they've reversed everything. And it was, it didn't happen early. It just happened you know, maybe an hour and a half ago or so. So I think we got to the point in the dollar and in bonds where if the lows aren't in place, they are awfully close. I hate the risk reward at this point to the downside in any of the currencies and in any of the bond products. I mean, right now, there is no risk reward in being short bonds. There's no risk reward in being long dollars. It just doesn't make any sense. And you could probably say the same thing for gold. I think that that may have precious metals may have made a low as well today. So I think all three of those have all the pot odds are to the upside. I don't think the market's the same, but I think in those goes commodities and maybe to a certain extent, I don't think crude oil got there, but it did get into kind of those mid seventies where we were targeting. So it probably has a pretty good low in place too. So I think you're a little bit safe to get back in the water for at least the next couple of days. So, Tom, when you think about, you know, Guy just mentioned the VIX. It, it topped out at 34 yesterday, and that yeah. was kind of getting into a bit of a zone where we've seen stocks yeah. kind of come off of some lows after some, you know, some hard selling periods over the course of this past year. Talk to our viewer a little bit about how you use the VIX. You know, you, you hear a lot of different media outlets. They talk about it yeah. as the FURG index and this and that or whatever. How do you use it as an input? Because, again, you just said you're short vol. So that means that, I mean, yeah. our, our viewers now listening to you they understand what that yeah. means you're not making a directional play you're basically saying that options on these underlines are too expensive and you yeah. want to profit when they come in so how do you use the vix to kind of make some of this decision making process in your well training? well risk by definition is essentially the velocity the velocity of of fear that's pretty heavy stuff for me by the way and uh, the only measure of fear that we have out there that we know how to measure fear which is an actual math equation is the vix so I use the VIX constantly, not as a trading vehicle, but as a way to just kind of judge the appetite for the market. The I look at it both from an at the money, you know, which is what's happening real time. And I look at it also from kind of a fat tail risk perspective. And when I look at VIX, first of all, I don't watch the VIX, V-I-X. I watch the VX, which are the VIX futures or the VXM. I mean, one very important distinction about volatility is VX is the actual spot market, even though it's a futures market. And VIX is the actual future price to the VIX. So you can confuse people by quoting VIX or looking at VIX. So what you should be looking at is VX, which are the VIX futures, Mm -hmm. because those measure the actual spot market, which is what's happening today. And those got to about, you know, let's call it 32 area yesterday. There's only been seven cases of the VIX getting over 35 in essentially in the last 35 years. So just to give some context around where we are with respect to volatility. Now, this is the largest sell-off in the last, you know, few decades with the lowest volatility kind of expansion. Mm-hmm. 
so there's a little bit of kind of, you know, that's confused a few people like, don't we have to get over 40? Don't we have to get over 35? Don't we have to get over some number to really capitulate? So I don't think people need to get hung up on that. But we are at a point where the VIX is, you know, 60%, almost 65% over historical norms. We are at a point where opportunity is insane across the board. I mean, on especially on the equity side, but we probably never seen such non-correlated opportunity. Like usually when opportunity strikes in the stock market, there's some other market that's like, there's an inverse market, like bond market going up, stocks going down, bonds going up, or or stocks going down, gold going up or something like that. This market has presented, you know, downside price extreme across the board. And it's also wiped out a lot of the fat tail risk volatility, but it's delivered tons of at the money opportunity. So if you're an opportunist, a strategist that's looking at you know lots of different equities, especially a lot of high beta equities, especially a lot of stocks that are maybe tied to commodities and things like that. There's opportunities everywhere. I believe there's opportunities everywhere, and there's really good pot odds across the board. So you know one of the things that I've speculated, and I'm not suggesting I'm right, but I think historically when the VIX has spiked, it spiked because something literally came out of the blue. Some unknown event came and caught everybody off guard, and that's why we see those immediate spikes. This sell-off was sort of predicated in a very well-announced Federal Reserve that in November was basically changing course. So I think people were positioning themselves for what we've been seeing over the last couple of months ahead of time, which has probably muted the VIX. Again, that's just throwing it out there just to yeah. throw it out there. But that's sort of where I'm looking at this thing. Right now. Does that make any I, sense? It does. But I would argue something different this time. I would argue that this time, this has been an institutional collapse a professional collapse and not a retail collapse. I would argue that the retail investor in the 2022 sell-off was prepared. And if anything, they've been selling puts and nibbling on the long side and leaning into this a little bit on the long side, and they're not buying put protection. I would argue that this has been a market where globally, the only thing that has saved equity portfolios around the world and different portfolios around the world is the rally in the dollar, which means that all dollar invested, like we're the deepest pool of liquidity. And so anybody or anywhere around the world that's invested in stocks or bonds in the US converted to US dollars, their 30% reduction in their in their whatever their local currency is, has been offset by the gains in the dollar, which has then gone to replace a lot of the losses. So I think much of this selling is being driven by people liquidating assets, bonds and stocks and other things, and taking advantage of the rise of the dollar and basically unwinding a portfolio. I do not think this is a retail liquidation in the US. I think this is a global liquidation because they got a gift from the gods. In a marketplace where they really hated to convert to dollars, it ended up saving their butts. Everybody had this wrong two years ago. And the US dollar basically saved portfolios. So you're able to liquidate assets for very little or no loss at all. And I think that's what you're seeing right now. You're seeing this mass global liquidation of US assets because we have this huge pool of liquidity saved by the US dollar and lots of US institutional investors just getting crushed on high beta stocks and other investments that they've had. So I think that's really what it is. I think the retail customer, for the most part, skated. Yeah, listen, I don't disagree with any of that. It's a fascinating conversation, though, and it, this is not over by any stretch. And, you know, out of the 250 or so trading days, maybe less, maybe the 230, there may be a handful that you wait for and sort of try to take advantage of. And today's one of those days, Tom's 
So we're going to let you get back to it. But thanks for your insight. My sense is by this time next week, we're going to have a similar but much different conversation about a lot of other things. And we'll see what other central bank comes into the mix. But I want to thank Tom for joining us. Please check out tastytrade.com. Follow Tasty Trade on Twitter at Tasty Trade. And check out their website. If you're looking for a community, I'm hard-pressed to find another one that's better, Dan Nathan. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Tom Sosnoff. We will talk to you next week. Happy trading. All right, the man, the myth, the legend, Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. He has been waiting in the wings here. We're going to hit some charts. And you know what, Carter, how are you, bud? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, I'm looking at charts. Can you imagine that? No, uh, well, you know, here's the thing, you know, a lot of our viewers, a lot of our listeners, they know that you usually come equipped with a thesis and you kind of like to kind of play that thesis out by showing us, you know, how the charts are are kind of informing your decision on that process. But every once in a while, we get to kind of do a little little request line here. You know what I mean? So uh, we were thinking about what we were going to talk about today. You know, one of the things right out of the gate that was just sticking out was this Netflix. And I've been kind of eyeing this one, Carter. And you know, there's a few names in kind of internet land that I've been kind of poking at here and there on the long side mm-hmm. trading, some thinking about as a longer term position. And so I had three names that I really wanted to kind of get your opinion on. And then maybe we'll just kind of reflect on the macro. We want to hit semis too here. But talk to me about Netflix right here. This stock is up eight percent today look at how much it's up off of its lows okay where we had a lot of names that had big bounces over the course of the summer after huge declines earlier in the winter and the spring but they gave a lot of those back this one barely budged paypal barely budged i'm just curious talk to me about these patterns and if they're interesting to you even if you think the broader market is going to make a lower low Right. So the, the common circumstance here, I think that's the, maybe the context to put it in, is that high flyers, mm-hmm. right, that then became the most destroyed. So that's Netflix dropping 76%, but that's DocuSign too, and that's Zoom too, mm-hmm. and Peloton too. But then they've started to, as the expression goes, separate the wheat from the chaff. They're mm-hmm. ones that are staying down. Zoom's not bouncing, DocuSign's not bouncing. And others are just really, and many of them won't come back, not to say they have to go bankrupt, but they'll just wallow along the bottom. Whereas Netflix has come back, right, dramatically. And so the common circumstance of the greatest winners becoming the greatest losers, here here again, down 76%. But what's so important is it's day-to-day, week-over-week relative strength, and it's absolute chart pattern. So this is a, a log chart. And... Again, drawing lines is subjective, just as deciding fundamentally whether something's worth 18 times free cash flow or 21 times. It's very subjective, but my eye sees the lines that way. Now, if we have an arithmetic chart, just to show you, it's the same thing in many ways. But what's so enticing here for Netflix is the possibility of retracing the drops and gaps from up above. And so If you look at this third iteration, we have those, what you see there, they're dotted, right? Horizontal red lines. Those are earnings misses, the two big gaps that you see. And we are now, we have the potential of moving into the unfilled gap, the void of March, April. I think there's a lot of upside. 
Okay, cool. And and again, you know, like for me, and, and I think a lot of our listeners know that Guy and I both like to use multiple sorts of inputs. We think about things from a fundamental standpoint, from a sentiment standpoint, you know, and we love the charts. They really, for me, who also trades a lot of options, it kind of helps inform my strikes, my stops, and some of that sort of stuff. And this one just, it looks like it's ready to party, as Guy Adami would say. Here's another one, though, that's also down considerably off its highs. It's just been catching my eyes. You know, I don't do the sort of scrolls that you do and, and, and sort of the pattern recognition, but Spotify is one where I think it's possibly close to a fundamental turn and, and we're not going to get into that right now. But again, this one looks very different, you know what I mean, than the Netflix that you just laid out. So I'd love to hear your thought process here because the relative weakness, to your point, to some of these other high flyers that have basically put in a bottom, it's pretty obvious, huh? Right, and you could overlay them in the sense that they peak around the same time, they collapse a major percentage, whether it's 68 or 75, doesn't matter, and then they all bounce. But then you see things like Netflix, which continue to work higher, and this one has just failed right at the downtrend line. And now the risk, of course, is that it undercuts its lows of May. Many would say it's going to be a double bottom. That's not what I see. I think it comes down hard here. Look at the longer-term chart we might have so, you know, you're below the COVID low. You yeah. know, one could say, yeah, it's cheap, but that's, there's no such thing as cheap or expensive. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't work. What we do know is there's a lot of risk that it breaks, which is to say, if it doesn't, okay, respect that fact and maybe we can get long for a trade. But the presumption is break. Yeah. No. And again, you know, for me, and I said this, we we had this little exercise on fast money last night is kind of a long term hold in some of these names. And this does not have the fundamentals of some that you want to just kind of put in a drawer and not really care where it goes. But I think there's going to be another gap lower fundamentals based on a guide down in a lot of these names. And that's where I'd start legging into them. That's why this one has kind of caught my eye. All right. Last one before we get to semis and guy, you're not going to believe it on a Wednesday. We're doing butters. We are doing whoa, butters whoa, 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 whoa. today. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's happening, but we're going to do that we just got to be a little patient here this one snap really quickly and i know that you just kind of hate this these sorts of charts that have this relative weakness i just want to say one thing though carter when i'm looking at this chart you know you're saying eight okay we're at 10 10 and a half i see you know 20 25 percent downside i'm just saying near term on another guide lower but i see a hundred percent upside on this thing based on fundamental reasons you know what i mean like in what could be the similar sort of scenario that the downside move would play out versus the potential for an upside move. So again, does this one remind you a bit more like Spotify? Is that what you're thinking here? Well, that's that's my thinking, right? It's just not showing the life one would hope for. And, and yeah. in terms of technique, usually it's better to you know say, hey, show me one day up. How about put two back to back? Show me a week or two. Show me something, and then we could join and embrace those facts. But it's not showing that. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, this is one that I own. And, you know, I wish I'd kind of held on to the Netflix. I had a good buy back in May, early June. And just at some point in the summer, I just kind of felt like some of these names were likely to do what Snap and Spot did, but I sold some of the good ones. But that's just, again, you know, Carter, you've been watching me trade for a while. You know, I'll make that mistake again. And then, Guy, I just mentioned, you know, at the top, we talked about Apple. We talked about where the weakness is in the NASDAQ. Thoughts on, on, on semis here? Because, you know, this is a, an area where it was kind of hard not to like identify, you know, the potential for double ordering early this year because of the supply chain disruptions, because of COVID lockdowns, because of a whole host of different things. Thoughts when you see a day like today where there's a lot of green in tech, but you see semis acting poorly in general. 
Well, I think, as we said earlier, Apple's the lead, but for, again, the Bank of England, I think we'd be talking about that the most of this show. And obviously, the trickle-down effect finds its way into semis. But I think prior to today and prior to the Apple news suggesting or, you know, implying that there is real news out there, these names are just too expensive. I mean, you back out of Qualcomm and a couple of names, maybe an Intel on valuation where you could actually wrap your head around it. So many of these names were valuations that made zero sense. AMD, a name that everybody loves, myself included, traded up to 160. And look at that stock now. NVIDIA, obviously, the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. And even the Texas Instruments, which would at its peak was trading north of 30 times earnings, the valuations in these names were just too high. And then you layer on the fact that there is potentially a slowdown and that, you know, that double ordering is coming to fruition. And that's why these stocks are underperforming. Listen, on a normal tape, they'd be down more than they are now. So just keep that in mind, because to your earlier point, this isn't over by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And, and Carter, you know, going back, you know, let's say a couple decades, I mean, this group to you, important group, right? When you think about just and now increasingly how much exposure they have to so many different industries, just thoughts here on, on like what you've observed in 2022 in the semi space, which was a much loved group. We spent a lot of time on NVIDIA, which was nearly the next trillion dollar market market cap company, you know, a year ago, and now is what, somewhere at three, th- 350 mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. Thoughts on the space in general? Right. Well, before looking at the charts, I mean, what you're referring to is that they are so broadly used now. Semis were always cyclical, right? Yep. Uh, that there's a, sort of the people look at the book to bill and they say, you know, what the cycles are and yep. are we shortages? Are there too much capacity? And and yet the argument has been made that they're not anymore, right? That they're they're not just like the way oil services are the cyclical part of the energy complex, that they are so enduring now and such a bigger part of every dishwasher and car and drone that you play with in the backyard that basically they're more, well, enduring and less cyclical. You know, who knows? But let's just say this. What does the chart say? The chart says we got a beautiful channel off the 09 low. You can see it there. We blew out through the top of that channel, and now we're back to the midpoint. And so you get towards the low, the lower band. I mean, what's the thesis for buying here? I don't, I don't think there is one. You guys were articulating maybe fundamentally that they're still expensive. To my eye, it works lower. You go into the lower band of the channel. I'm going to keep you around here, CBW, because I know you're as large a fan of this next gentleman as we are. But Butters on a Wednesday, I mean, it's like it's insanity what's going on today. But you put out a note and basically talking about analysts finally starting to take down their estimates. What took so long? Where you been is what I want to say. But then here we are. And finally, some of the mechanisms in the market are starting to take hold. People that were sort of holding on to hope that earnings would come in at a certain level or finally realizing, you know what, it ain't going to happen and they're ratcheting things down. It's happened all across a number of analysts. Goldman Sachs most recently cutting there, slashing their S&P forecast. But Butters lays it out right here for you, Dan. Yeah, our main man, John Butters, he writes the Earnings Insight blog for FactSet. It drops Friday morning, so check that out, people. I've been reading it for a very long time, for years, actually. And so just uh, our little preview here, and he's just highlighting the fact that, you know, analysts are finally, as you just said, Guy, they're cutting the S&P 500 earnings estimates for the companies, right? And obviously, that goes into the aggregate here. But for Q3 2022, they've cut by 6.4%. The decline is larger than the five-year average, the 
10-year average, the 15-year average, and the 20-year average by quarter. So again, I think that, you know, we've just suggested that this has had to happen, you know, going back from the start of the war in Europe and, and the continued lockdowns, but it just seems like analysts were holding on for dear life to those estimates and those targets. And I guess, you know, the dollar strength is not helped by any means, if you think about it, because that's going to be a drag on some of our multinationals as it relates to margins and the such here. But just curious, Carter, and I know you don't pay a lot of attention to a lot of strategists and their targets here, but what does it mean to you from a sentiment standpoint that we're starting to see this pick up in a meaningful way? You see this graph that that they have. This is the largest decrease quarterly that we've seen in, you know, uh, since the pandemic or so. Is, is it starting to all come together, I guess, is the question. Sure. So there's an historic pattern here. I, I remember committing it to memory early on, in late 1980s. On average, analysts revise their earnings estimate down 1% a month, going back literally 30, 50, 60 years. So what you think about a $7 stock, if you were to do that 0.99, down 0.99, 0.99, you get to $6.20 at the end of the year. And that is a, over history, a $10 stock, they end up being down at nine. It's again, a $7 stock, 6.20. And so this pattern is immutable. The point of a sell-side analyst is to what? Make a big price target on it so you can sell the thing. And then hmm, over time, you're like, wow, that was a little optimistic. That was a little rosy. And they end up ratcheting their numbers slowly down. Now, sometimes they do it cathartically. And I think that's what you'll start to see here because you get these earnings misses out of, out of a FedEx and so forth. The people go, wow. And they'll cut them more aggressively. And I think that's the message that you're seeing here in that table. When I go to Chipotle Mexican Grill, that comes out CMG, by the way. If I were to order, I typically order a burrito, not the whole grain burrito or whatever they call tortilla, but, you know, the regular one, Dan, white rice, extra chicken, no beans, sour cream, salsa, and cheese. I mention that because when they put it all together, man, there's a lot in there. And that's what today was. Today's yeah. show was a CMG double chicken burrito that I'm totally digging. I'll pay for it later, but it's okay right now. Obviously, I want to thank Carter Braxenworth, who just rocks. He is the shit. I think we all know that. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, Tasty Trade, and Open Exchange. And check this out, Dan. Programming note for tomorrow. You and I are going to be hosting a market call from the Zeta Live in New York City. Not Catherine Zeta. This is a whole different kettle of fish. I'm fired up about it. We'll be releasing Market Call a little later in the afternoon, which is okay, people. Fluid. Life is a moving target. Consistency is a moving target. So thank you, Carter. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Tom. Thank you to the crack staff we have behind the scenes. And most importantly, thank you, our audience. If you dig us, send us a message, like us, whatever you do. Follow us on the Twitter. I'm sure you all do that already. Hasta la vista, people. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys.